chapter number two. Ruth chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And uh, we'll get the rest of these house lights on here in just a moment. But I want to encourage you to uh, have a Bible today. And most of the verses will be on the screen as well. And uh, I'm looking forward to jumping into Ruth chapter two. If you're ready for God's word today, would you say amen? amen. Ruth two. We started this uh, study of the book of Ruth uh, last week. And uh, we're talking about uh, this Moabite widow named Ruth who's making a journey with her bitter mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Bethlehem. And uh, we're seeing how God is guiding and directing their steps. So Ruth chapter 2, verse number 1, the Bible says this. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap, it just so happened that her hap was to light on the part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant was set over the, re the reapers, answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. And then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. And we'll continue on, but uh, for sake of time this morning, we'll pause right there to have a word of prayer. But I want to bring a message today that I'm calling this, what are the chances? Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, what are the chances? What are the chances? Let's have a word of prayer together. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. Lord, thank you for this time, for this opportunity to come together and to lift high your name. And Lord, to sing praises unto you. God, I pray that we would recognize that the lyrics that we sang today are true, that we always have a reason to praise. And God, that we can find joy no matter what our circumstances might be. God, we consider the Apostle Paul today from Philippians, from a jail cell that he still had reason to praise and he still had joy even in dark circumstances and so God I pray that that would ring true in this room this morning and Lord I pray that as we look to your word today uh, that you would guide us and direct us Lord I pray that you would fill me with your spirit to give me the words to say and God I pray that we can learn exactly what it is you would have for us today we love you in Jesus name and everybody said growing up one of my favorite movies was the movie Cool Runnings. Has anybody seen the movie Cool Runnings? How could you not love the movie about the Jamaican bobsled team, right? And if you've never seen the movie, there's one character in the movie, movie that has a lucky egg, and he always brings that lucky egg with him, and anytime they're about to go on a race, he pulls out his lucky egg, and he kisses that lucky egg, and uh, he's hoping that that lucky egg will bring him some good fortune. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, luck is an interesting concept 
uh, that has infiltrated our thinking. And there's many different viewpoints on luck and, and happenstance and good fortune. We have many different cultural, uh, cultural ideas when it comes to good luck, right? Someone might say that if you see a four-leaf clover, it's good luck. If you have a rabbit's foot that you carry, maybe it's good luck. There are cultural signs of bad luck. Uh, this, this past Friday, we had Friday the 13th, right, and uh, walking under a ladder. These things are cultural signs of, of bad luck, right? Uh, that, that, that culture would say this determines good fortune, this determines bad fortune. This is something that many people are interested in. I know this to be true because in 2020 in New York State, the citizens of New York State spent $9.7 billion on lottery tickets in 2020, just hoping one day we're going to get lucky. Uh, one day we're going to hit it big. One day is going to be our moment and uh, waiting for that lucky day. We know Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, he talked about uh, chance. He talked about happenstance and he provides for us some perspective. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse number 11. Solomon said, I returned and saw under the sun. And that's a key phrase to remember, under the sun, that the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. And so Solomon, he's kind of uh, being a little bit of a downer right here, okay? He says, hey, uh, the fast person doesn't always win the race. The strongest person doesn't always win the battle. The smartest person is not always successful. He just has this time and chance. It's just happenstance. He goes on and he says, for man also knoweth not his time. As the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it's suddenly upon them. And so uh, Solomon is uh, not very encouraging in this passage, right? Uh, none of these things are going to be written on a Christian coffee mug or on a Christian greeting card, okay? He says the fast don't always win the race, the strong don't always win the battle, and he says, and by the way, you're going to die at any moment, and you cannot, predict your, you, you cannot predict your death, right? And so Solomon is not being very encouraging, but remember this. Solomon is writing from a perspective that is under the sun. He's writing from a perspective that is life without God, an earthly perspective, a life that is under the sun. And by the way, when you are living life apart from God, under the sun, without a heavenly and eternal perspective, you better just hope that you get lucky, and you better hope that there is just chance and happenstance in life and that lady fortune is on your side. But I'm thankful today that our lives are not in the hands of chance, but our lives are in the hand of a loving, all-sovereign, all-powerful creator God of the universe. And today we don't just trust and happenstance, we can trust in the providence of God. And so many people have a skewed perspective on this and the details of life and, and, uh, and uh, what is random and what is not. Uh, there was a time in uh, the book of 1 Kings when when there was uh, a battle taking place and the wicked king Ahab was warned of the prophet of God, don't go out into battle, you shouldn't go out into battle, it's not going to end well for you if you go out into battle. And the Bible says this in 2 Chronicles 18 verse 33, now a certain man drew a bow at random. Everybody say random. And struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle for I am wounded. And so uh, what we see here is that the Bible says that a random soldier shot a random arrow. It just happened to uh, pierce in the most uh, uh, vulnerable position in his armor and it ended up killing the wicked king Ahab. Now, you might just say, well, that was just chance. That was just random. But if you study the passage in context, it happened exactly as God predicted that it would happen. The Bible puts it this way in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33. By the way, this is Solomon speaking again. He says this, the lot is cast into the lap. 
Now, in Bible times, casting lots was uh, just a, a way of, of rolling the dice, right, to kind of just choose at random. He says the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. And so you can roll the dice, you can cast lots, but at the end of the day, it's our God who is always in control. Sometimes it's the active hand of God that's moving. God will actively bring people into your life. God will actively bring you into a certain uh, position or a certain place in life. Sometimes God is actively moving. Other times God is passively moving his hand. Uh, just like God would allow some things to happen uh, in our lives. Just as God allowed Satan to tempt Job, that was his passive hand at work. But never for a moment think that God is not at work and God is not orchestrating the details of life. Jerry Bridges said this, this is the essence of God's sovereignty. His absolute independence to do as he pleases and his absolute control over the actions of all his creatures. No creature, person, or empire can either thwart his will or act outside the bounds of his will. God's always in control. Now, to, to fully understand this, I want us to look to Ruth chapter 2 today. Now, to catch us up to speed a little bit, if you weren't here last week, uh, Ruth is a Moabite widow and uh, she has gone through some difficult times. Naomi, at this point in her life, is her mother-in-law. She is bitter as well, gone through some difficult times. They are traveling back to Bethlehem. When they arrive to Bethlehem, they are the talk of the town. Everyone is saying, wow, Naomi is back in uh, a town, and who is this person that is with her? And they certainly had a complicated relationship, Naomi and Ruth. They had a lot of baggage. Uh, Naomi right now is bitter. She's angry at God. Ruth is a brand new convert. She had just uh, placed her faith in Yahweh. And so uh, they have this kind of clunky, awkward, uh, complicated relationship. And to an untrained perspective, as you look at Ruth chapter number two, it might seem like Ruth is just having a lucky day. It might seem like, man, I wish I had the good fortune that Ruth had. And just the, Ruth is so lucky, everything's just falling in, into place for her. But upon closer examination, what you see is that God is orchestrating even the smallest details in her life. And that's what I want to, want to examine uh, for a few minutes today. And so if you're taking notes today, I want us to see uh, four principles that will help us uh, strengthen our faith and trust in the unseen hand of God. Four principles. Would that be okay today? And if I can get a little less reverb, reverb on this mic, that would be great. But four principles uh, on, on how to increase and strengthen our faith. Number one is this. Everybody with me today? Number one is this. Demonstrate the initiative. We have to demonstrate the initiative. Notice verse number one. I want to encourage you to keep your Bible and ready and open today. Verse number one. And Naomi had a kinsman. Everybody say kinsman. Everybody else say kinsman. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And so the story kind of shift, shifts gears here for a moment, and we zero in on a man named Boaz. Uh, the Bible says that Boaz was a mighty man. Uh, he was a good man. He was an honorable man. He was a mighty man of wealth. He was a very rich man, a very wealthy man. By the way, it is not wrong to have wealth. It is not wrong to have riches. Uh, it is not wrong to have possessions, to own possessions. It is wrong to allow your possessions to own you. The Bible says that it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And so we can be righteous with our giving and righteous with our money, or we can be unrighteous with our money. Boaz was a generous, good, godly man who also happened to be very wealthy. Everybody tracking so far? Boaz was a distant relative of, of Naomi. Okay, verse number two. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, go, my daughter. 
And so what happens here in the text is Ruth says, you know what, I can't just sit here. We're back in Bethlehem. Somebody's got to do something. And so Ruth approaches Naomi and says, let me go glean in the fields and let me work and get some food for us to bring back home. Notice it was not Naomi commanding Ruth. It was Ruth showing the initiative and going to Naomi. And Ruth says, I can't just sit here on my hands. We have to do something. I'm going to go to the field and I'm going to get to work and demonstrate the initiative. Uh, recently in January, we had the Faith in America survey. Every year there's this survey in America that talks about uh, the, the levels of faith in America. And 72% of, America, uh, 72% of Americans acknowledged and admitted uh, that our nation is headed in the wrong moral direction. 72% said, you know what, we're going the wrong direction. But of those 72%, uh, 60% also admitted that they don't attend church more than one time a month. And so, in other words, it's very easy to point out the problem. It's a whole different story to initiate the progress. Why is it that we are so good at identifying problems, but so poor at initiating the progress? It's easy to say, man, our country is headed in the wrong moral direction, but are we a part of the local church and the body of Christ to be the hands and feet of Jesus that he has called us to be? It's one thing to just point out the problem, but are we a part of the solution? Ruth was going to sit back, and she was not going to just say, well, I guess we'll just kind of see what happens. Thanks for bringing me here to Bethlehem. She said, no, I've got to get out to the field, and I've got to do something about the situation uh, that I'm in. And, and so she is initiating the progress. Last year, we had a dear lady in our church who came to me, and she said, I have an idea for a ministry. And uh, there's been many times when uh, someone has come to me and said that. And many times what they're saying is, uh, I have an idea that you need to do. <laughs> that, yeah, here's a suggestion uh, that I think that you should do. Uh, but this lady came to me and she said, I have an idea for a ministry. And I'm not asking you to do anything. I just want your hand of blessing on it. And I have a burden to help people. And I have a burden to uh, assist people in time of need. And I want to pray for people and provide meals. And uh, I have this, this burden to start this ministry. And so I said, okay, let's do it. And, uh, and uh, she uh, took that upon herself. And because Kathy Kassad started our Helping Hands ministry, we've been able to feed dozens of families and provide financial assistance and pray for the hurting. Why? Because there was one person that identified a problem and then initiated the progress, showing the initiative. Now, I don't know what area in your life today that God is calling you to initiate the progress, to stop sitting on your hands and say, I'm going to mobilize, I'm going to uh, get involved in the work. Uh, I don't know what area that might be, uh, but I want to encourage you. It's going to involve two things. First, it's going to involve humility. It's going to involve humility. To go and to glean in the fields for Ruth was not a glamorous position. In fact, it was, a, it was a provision that the law made for the poor. If you were a poor person, you could go after the fields were being harvested, and anyone that dropped something, you could find all the leftovers, and you could take those leftovers home. It was a provision for the poor. A modern-day equivalent would be dumpster diving. And so Ruth was not getting a glamorous position. This wasn't going to look good on her resume. She was just saying, hey, I'm willing to do whatever it is that needs to be done. And so she demonstrated the initiative, but in doing so, it took great humility. Now, Ruth would go on, and she's about to be honored in a great way. But never forget, before honor, there is humility. And so it starts with humility. And so it's going to take humility in your relationships. If you're serious about bringing about restoration, it will take humility. 
if you're serious about serving the Lord and taking that next step in, in the ministry, it's going to take humility. But not only did it take humility, it was also going to take hustle. It was going to take some hustle. This was not an easy job to do. Everybody with me this morning? Uh, this was not easy to go out into the fields and to glean. It was going to take a lot of determination and hard work. In fact, uh, later on, we learned that Ruth went out early in the morning and she stayed out in the fields all day. She was hard at work. Later on, we learned that she brought back an ephah of barley that was 25 pounds that she carried all by herself. What we learned is that uh, Ruth was a hardworking woman. This was going to take some. This was going to take some humility, but it was also going to take some hustle. The Bible says this in Proverbs 31, verse 27, talking about the virtuous woman, the Proverbs 31 woman. She looks well to the ways of her household, and she eats not the bread of idleness. You will never discover the blessings of God on the path of laziness. We are living in a culture and a time when we are often looking for the path of least resistance and anything that requires a little bit extra effort, I'm going to shy away from that. And if this is going to make me tired, I don't know if I'm going to do it. And often we find ourselves in a position of laziness. I was reading uh, recently about many inventions that have been invented as a result of laziness. I brought a couple of examples for us today. Uh, one on the screen, let's show this first one. This is a twirling fork. In case you don't want to twirl your spaghetti, you can push the button and the fork will do it for you. How many of you are interested in that invention this morning? Okay, thank you, Katie, for your honesty in that. Uh, uh, notice uh, the next one. Uh, we have a baby mop onesie. So rather than mopping your floor, just put that onesie on your baby and let it crawl around and, and uh, clean the floors while they're crawling around. Notice the last one. Uh, this is a pet petter. And so if you don't want to pet your pet, you can buy. These are real things, by the way, that you can purchase on Amazon. Uh, you can go and buy a pet petter, and that will take care of all of your problems for you, right? And uh, we live in a culture that's constantly trying to make things easier, trying to make things uh, more convenient. Uh, but can I tell you that in following Jesus... There will be times when extra effort is required. Can I also tell you that busyness is not always a bad thing? What's our default response? Anytime anyone asks us anything, how are you doing? Busy. You might have just got back from vacation. How are you doing? Busy, 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 busy. I'm so busy. Um, things, are just, things are just so busy right now. Very chaotic. Our, our default response is busy. Busyness is not always a bad thing. Idleness is the devil's workshop. Busyness is not always a bad thing. Why? Because God created us to work. God put Adam in the garden and created responsibility for Adam, gave him a job to do. Now, I, I firmly believe that we need to have margin. We need to have rest. We need to make sure that we're being wise and stewarding our physical health and our time in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Uh, but busyness is not always easy. There will be times when you need to show up a little bit early and stay a little bit later and pray a little longer and work a little bit harder. Hey, uh, there will be times when hustle is required. I think one of the most interesting presidents in U.S. history is President Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was just a rough, tough character, kind of no-nonsense. He had a lot of different nicknames. One of my favorite nicknames for Teddy Roosevelt was the Bull Moose. Uh, he was just kind of no-nonsense guy and a very tough. Uh, one, uh, one day, it was in October uh, in the early 1900s, uh, Teddy Roosevelt was on the campaign trail. He was getting ready to go make a speech, and on his way to go make a speech, a would-be assassin jumped out, pointed a gun at his chest, and shot him in the chest. And everyone around Teddy Roosevelt immediately rushed to him and said, we need to get you to the hospital. We need to take you to the hospital. They, they, they uh, apprehended uh, the would-be assassin, and they said, we need to get to the hospital. And Teddy Roosevelt took a deep breath. And he realized, he said, I don't believe that the bullet has gone into my lungs. 
So don't take me to the hospital. Take me to deliver my speech. I think we have a picture of his shirt. This is uh, Teddy Roosevelt's shirt this morning. The bloodstained shirt. Teddy Roosevelt went and he delivered a speech for 90 minutes with a bullet lodged into his chest. Uh, He was just a rough, tough uh, character. This is what Teddy Roosevelt said about effort. He said, I wish to preach not the doctrine of ignoble ease, but the doctrine of the strenuous life. The life of toil and effort, of labor and strife, to preach that highest form of success which comes not to the man who desires mere easy peace, but to the man who does not shrink from danger, from hardship, or from bitter toil, and who out of these wins the splendid, ultimate triumph. He would go on to coin that phrase, the the doctrine of the strenuous life. Can I just tell you that nothing great was ever built without sacrifice. Nothing great was ever built without effort. There will be times when the church must mobilize and must move to action. Say, you know what? I'm not afraid of getting my hands dirty. I'm not afraid to go out into the field and glean. I know it's going to take some humility. I know it's going to take some hustle. But God has called me to labor together, to strive together for the faith of the gospel. We've got to mobilize to action, to demonstrate the initiative. What did Nehemiah say when they were building the wall? He said that the people had a mind to what? Relax. He said the people building the temple and building the walls around the city of Jerusalem, the people had a mind to work. It's my prayer that at Rock Hill Church, we would not shy away from the effort that God has called us to. Because I believe it's a worthy endeavor. I believe that uh, reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus is a worthy calling. And it's worth a little bit of sweat. It's, it's worth a little bit of time invested into. And so what is Ruth doing? She's demonstrating the initiative. She's going out to glean in the fields. This was a position of humility. It was a position of hustle. Paul put it this way. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet, not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And I love this balance that Paul has here because he says, you know, I labored, I worked hard, I worked as hard as I possibly could, yet... Not I, it was the grace of God that enabled me and empowered me uh, to push forward. And so number one today, I want to encourage you to demonstrate the initiative. Uh, Here's the second thought. Are you ready for number two today? Number two, trust God's providential hand. Now, when we speak of God's providence, we're talking about how God will orchestrate uh, his supernatural ability in in, uh, natural ways. And so God working in natural ways through natural resources uh, to accomplish his divine purpose. Now, I want to pick it up in verse number three. Notice what the Bible says. Everybody with me in verse three? And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers and her hap. Now, the King James Version says, and her hap. And uh, your translation might say, as it so happened, or it just so happened. Okay, it says in verse number three, it just so happened that her hap was to light on the part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Now, when, they, when Ruth wanted to go out into work, she didn't know whose field she was going into. The Bible says it just so happens that she happened to pick the right field that day. It just so happens that Boaz uh, was the owner of that field. In fact, notice the first part of verse number four. It says this, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And so it just so happens that Ruth wanted to go work. It just so happens that she chose the right field belonging to Boaz. It just so happens that Boaz decided to show up that day as well. It just so happens that they would have a conversation. It just so happens that they would fall in love and the rest is history. It just so happens... What might look like coincidence or luck is the providence of God. 
that God was orchestrating these details. You can call it good fortune. You can call it happenstance. But God's hand was sovereignly, sovereignly working in this situation. Romans 8, 28 says this. And we know. Everybody say, we know. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to uh, his purpose. And so we see God is orchestrating the scene here. Boaz shows up. It might look like a coincidence, but it's God's providence. Uh, By the way, you might think it's just a coincidence that we're here today in church talking about relationships, but maybe God is trying to speak to you directly. When you show up to work tomorrow, uh, you don't know if you're just happening on the field that Boaz is. You you don't know what God can do at your workplace tomorrow. Is it just another day or does God want to use that to accomplish an extraordinary purpose in your life? And and so uh, Ruth shows up and it just so happens it's Boaz's field. Notice verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless thee. Now, Boaz was a good leader. He was a good boss. He shows up to the field because he wants to inspect what's going on. That's what a good leader does. You can't expect what you don't inspect. And so he's going to show up. He's going to inspect what's going on. By the way, as a parent, you can't expect what you don't inspect. And you can give your children some space. But I believe you should know what they're watching on YouTube. And you shouldn't know what's going on in their iPads. Uh, You can't expect what you don't inspect, right? And so Boaz shows up as a good leader, and he's inspecting what's going on. And then he says, the Lord bless you. And everyone responds back to him, the Lord bless thee. Now, that's a good boss. Can you imagine if that happened tomorrow, Monday morning at work? uh, You walked in, the boss walks in, the Lord bless you. And everyone uh, said, "Uh, the Lord bless you in return. How many of you, that would be a shock in your workplace tomorrow if that happened, right? And so Boaz is a good boss. He shows up, verse number five. Everybody with me today? Verse 5, then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? Who is that girl? And uh, uh, cue the romantic music right here. Who is that? And, uh, man, who is that girl over there? Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over him, verse 6, that was set over the reapers, answered and said, it is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me uh, glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Now, there's some good dating advice here. All right, for those of you that are single and ready to mingle, okay, listen in for a second because there's some good dating advice here. Uh, what is Boaz doing? He was clearly attracted to Ruth. Whose damsel is this? He was clearly attracted to Ruth, but what is he doing? He's doing his due diligence. Because there's more to it than just attraction. Uh, what kind of girl is it? What kind of character does she have? Does she worship the one true God, Yahweh? Hey, if you are looking for a spouse, if you're looking to date, it's not just are they attracted. You should ask other questions like, do they have a job? That's a good question to ask. Are they still living in their mom's basement? Uh, these are good questions to ask, right? Uh, do your due diligence. And that's what uh, Boaz is doing here. Who is this damsel? Let me hear uh, more about here. Notice verse number 8. Now, what's about to happen is Boaz is going to provide for Ruth. And as we're going to see in the study on relationships in the book of Ruth, that Boaz is a type or a picture of, how, of Christ and how Christ will provide for us. And so Boaz is about to provide some things for Ruth just as Christ provides for us. I want you to see how he provides the first thing is protection. Notice verse number 8. And then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter, go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do, not, uh, that they do reap, and go thou after them. 
Have I not charged the young men that they shall not uh, touch thee? Now, that was speaking of protection. Remember, last week we saw that the time period, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. This was the time when the judges ruled. This was a terrible time in human history. And so to be out in the fields, even in broad daylight, was no place for a single woman. This would have been a very dangerous occupation to be by yourself. And so what Boaz does is he says, hey, I'm going to make sure that no one comes close to you, that no one touches you. I'm going to tell all my workers to look out for you. What Boaz is doing is providing protection. Can I tell you today that the safest place that you can find yourself is the center of God's will? Jonah was more safe in a wicked terrorist-filled nation of Nineveh than he was on a boat to Tarshish. Why? Because that was God's will for him. And so I want you to know today that the safest place that you can be for you and your family is in the center of God's will. And now Boaz is providing protection uh, for Ruth, but not only is he providing protection, he's going to provide replenishment. Uh, Notice it in verse number nine. It says this at the end of verse number nine, and when thou art athirst, Go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Now, uh, the Moabite women, uh, women in general and Moabite women in this culture, were definitely not allowed to go and to drink with the men. And so this was a provision that Boaz gave to Ruth that other people did not have the luxury of having. And so not only is uh, Boaz providing protection, but now he is providing replenishment. I'm thankful today that when we are thirsty, when we are in a dry place, when we are tired, when we are exhausted, that our God promises to provide replenishment, that he promises to provide renewal. I was talking to a pastor this week, and uh, He was telling me confidentially, he was telling me about how he was going through a rough season and how he's been tired and his wife is expecting about to have a baby and he's had to get a second job and their church is trying to buy a building and they didn't have quite enough money for the building and there were some problems in the church, people spreading some false doctrine that he was trying to confront and they were getting mad at him and he was saying, man, I'm going through a lot. But through it all, all, in that conversation, his spirit stayed encouraged. His spirit stayed uh, uh, positive. Why? Because he has the joy of the Lord. Why? Because God can always give us the replenishment that we need when we're hurting, when we're tired, when we're exhausted. He is the living water. And one stop with Jesus, we will always be satisfied and refreshed. And so Boaz is providing these things for Ruth. He's providing friendships and relationships and protection and replenishment. And so I want to encourage you today to trust in the providential hand of God. We might not always see it. We might not always understand uh, how and why God is doing the things the way that he's doing, but we can always trust that God is in control. This leads us to our third thought today. Number three is this. Let your testimony do the talking. Let your testimony do the talking. Now, I want us to see it starting in verse 10. It says this. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why? Everybody say why. Why have I found grace in thine eyes? that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing that I'm a stranger. By the way, some more good dating advice. Ladies, if a guy is being really nice to you and he's buying you things and he wants to take you out to eat all the time, a good question is to say, why are you being so nice to me? What are your intentions? <laughs> uh, where is this going, right? And that's what Ruth does. She's, she says, why are you being so nice to me? Uh, where is this going? What, what, what's going on here, Boaz? Notice verse 11. And Boaz answered and said unto her, watch this phrase. It hath fully been showed me. He says, I have learned a lot about you, Ruth. It's been fully showed me. Notice it. All that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land uh, of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. In other words, Boaz is saying, hey, I've heard a lot about you. 
Your testimony has done some talking. Uh, The manager of Boaz's field would have communicated the character and the reputation of Ruth. Can you imagine if Ruth had a bad reputation amongst that manager? Can you imagine if Ruth was showing up late to the fields and she was being disrespectful and she was being rude to people and that manager was watching her the whole time? Uh, She would have put the blessings of God in peril. But because she had a good reputation, because the manager could give a good report and she had a good testimony, uh, the blessings of God were about to pour on her life. And so her testimony was doing the talking. Boaz says, I've heard all about you, Ruth, and uh, I've heard about your character. Oswald Chambers said this, we are only what we are in the dark. All the rest is reputation. What God looks at is what we are in the dark. Hey, Ruth didn't know that out in the field she was auditioning. She, she didn't know that the manager was watching her character. She was just working hard. What God looks at is what we are in the dark. The imaginations of our minds, the thoughts of our heart, the habits of our bodies, these are the things that mark us in God's sight. Character is what you are in the dark. Can I encourage you today, as a follower of Jesus, let your testimony do the talking. Do the people at your workplace know that you love Jesus? Do the people in your neighborhood know that you love coming to church? Is your testimony speaking volumes? This is what 1 Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse number 12. Having your conversation or your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles, amongst uh, people in the world, that whereas they may speak evil against you as evildoers, that they may, uh, that they, uh, may buy your good works, which they shall behold, which they will see and observe, just like the manager observed Ruth, they will behold and glorify God in the day of visitation. Let your testimony do the talking. Now, because of her reputation, notice her reward in verse number 12. And we're just studying this verse by verse uh, together today. We're just walking through this. Notice verse 12. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel. Israel. Now remember, the Israelites hated the Moabites. The Moabites hated the Israelites. And yet, even though there was this racial tension, Boaz is still showing favor and love to Ruth. Why? Because the love of God knows no boundaries. And there is no room for partiality within the church and with the love of God. And this is what Boaz is demonstrating. He's demonstrating this love for Ruth. And he's saying, you're going to get a reward in return from this. And then I love this phrase at the end of verse 12. Whose wings thou art come to trust. In whose wings thou art come to trust. In other words, he's acknowledging Ruth's conversion. He's saying, you have come under the wing. You have learned to trust in the one true God, Yahweh. And so Ruth left Moab geographically. But more importantly, Ruth left Moab theologically. She was not worshiping the false god of Kadesh. Now she is worshiping the one true God, Yahweh. And this is what Boaz is observing. And he's saying the Lord is going to reward you. He's going to honor you. Now, let's see how it takes place in verse 13. Everybody with me? Now, uh, Boaz is about to uh, give uh, Ruth many blessings. Verse 13. Then she said, let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou uh, thou hast comforted me, and thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine own handmaidens. Verse 14. And Boaz said unto her, at mealtime, come thou thither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in vinegar. Now, historically and contextually, we know that dipping the bread in in this kind of vinegar, this was uh, the equivalent of taking Ruth out to a nice dinner. Uh, This was a very nice meal. Uh, Maybe he took her to Ruth's Chris, pun intended there, okay? And uh, he says, I'm going to take you to a nice meal. I'm going to have, it's okay, everybody, it's just a joke this morning. And uh, and so uh, he, he takes her and he says, I want to give you a nice meal. Dip your bread in the vinegar. He's taking her out. On, this is their first date, so to speak, okay? And, uh, and she sat beside the reapers and reached his, 
uh, reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and she was sufficed and left. So they share a great meal together, then she leaves. Verse 15, and when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And so again, he's, he's instructing his men, hey, take care of her, protect her. Verse 15, and, uh, verse 16, and let, watch this, and let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her. He's saying, let some fall on purpose for it. See, Boaz was kind and considerate, and he was trying to put Ruth in a good position. And so he tells his workers, when she's out there gleaning in the field, just drop some on purpose for her. Make it easy for her. Uh, make, it, uh, make it to where it's convenient for her. And leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. Verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until even. Uh, Ruth went back out to work. Uh, Ruth could have just asked, she, she could tell Boaz was into her. She could have just asked, can you bless, can you just give me some food? Rather, she goes back out and she works in the field and beat out that she had a glean and it was about an ephah of barley, about 25 pounds. And so Ruth goes back out into the field and, uh, and she works some more. But what we see is that God was rewarding her. We see her reputation and then we see this reward. The Bible says this in Colossians 3.23, and whatsoever you do, whatever you do, Whatever your occupation is, whether you are a teacher, a firefighter, a, 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 a police officer, uh, whether you are in construction, an engineer, whether you're working in the school system, hey, whatever it is that you do, do it heartily. Uh, do it with all your heart. G give your heart to it, your passion to it, as to the Lord, not unto men. When you show up to work on Monday, you are ultimately working not for your physical boss that you see. You are working for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so whatever you do, do it heartily with all your heart to the Lord and not unto men. Watch this. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. And so we see Ruth and her reputation. We see her reward. And this leads us to our fourth and final thought today. Do you have one more in you this morning? Notice number four, and I love number four because it happens to also be one of our core values as a church. Pause to praise. Pause to praise. And I love this scene because Ruth is going to go back to Naomi, and she's going to tell Naomi what happened. She's going to tell Naomi how Boaz provided and how Boaz uh, 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 was being very kind to her and providing food for her. And she was going to talk about how God had provided in this situation. And as this scene unfolds, we see a celebration. And this relationship up until this point between Ruth and Naomi was complicated. But don't you love how God can take a place of complication and turn it into a place of celebration? This was a complicated relationship, but now because of the providence of God and the sovereignty of God, there's about to be a celebration. I want us to see it in verse number 18. It says this. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And so Naomi noticed, she observed, she saw what she had gleaned. By the way, when you are walking by faith and when God's hand of blessing is upon you, people will notice. There will be some evidence. Uh, there should be evidence that you are a follower of Jesus. The Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. To work out not for your salvation means to, there should be some evidence of your salvation. And so uh, she noticed what she had gleaned and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed, verse 19. And her mother-in-law said unto her, where hast thou gleaned today? All right, so you can just sense in Naomi, she recognizes something special happened today. When Ruth came back with 25 pounds of food, well, where did you glean today? You can tell she, she's, she's recognizing that this was a special moment. And then she says, and where rottest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. Notice how because of the influence of Ruth, now Naomi has a renewed perspective. Now Naomi, the one that was bitter, now Naomi is grateful. Never underestimate the power of your influence. 
that you can influence someone for good. Naomi's saying, blessed is he. Man, I'm grateful. This is amazing. Blessed is he who took knowledge of thee. And then she goes on and says this. Verse number 20. Verse 19. And she showed her mother-in-law in whom she had wrought and said, the man's name whom I wrought today is Boaz. Verse 20. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord. Very important words in the book of Ruth. Naomi now, for the first time, is giving praise and blessing to the Lord. She's praising God in verse 20. Blessed be he of the Lord. What were they doing? They were pausing in this moment, and they were celebrating. They were praising. Even in this home, even in this family that had a lot of drama, that had a lot of issues, that had a lot of hurt, that had some bitterness, that had some anger, even in that home, now there is joy and there is praising because of what God did. Can I tell you, in your home today, I believe that God can infiltrate your home with joy. He can infiltrate your home with his praises. Hey, your home ought to be a place of celebration, praising, and thanking the Lord for his goodness. Hey, there's always something that you can complain about, but there's always something that you can celebrate in the name of Jesus. They come home, now they are celebrating. She says, blessed be the name of the Lord. And notice what she says in verse 20. Who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. What is Naomi acknowledging here in that statement? She says, praise the Lord. Wow, Ruth, this is amazing. Praise the Lord. He has not left off his kindness to the living and dead. What is she acknowledging? The faithfulness of God. Can I tell you today that the God that we worship is a faithful God? We might go through seasons of difficulty. We might go through seasons of peril, confusion, confusion, exhaustion. But God is always faithful. And this is what Naomi, remember, bitter Naomi. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Bitterness. Now she's saying, God is good and God is faithful. Do you see how the initiative of Ruth has now impacted Naomi? One relationship sharpening another. Iron sharpening. Iron. The Bible says this in Psalm 136, verse number one. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? How can we do this? For he is faithful, that promised. God is faithful. Now, I want to close by noticing verse number 20. Now, as we conclude this uh, section today, I want to ask you to join me in standing as we read verse number 20. It says this, And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. Praise the Lord. God is good. God is faithful. And Naomi said unto her, Here's the real reason Naomi was so excited. It wasn't just because she brought back 25 pounds of grain. Here's the real reason. Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. Now, what she's referencing is what's called the kinsman redeemer. She was referencing that law from Deuteronomy, the Levirate law, that, that, if, a, that if a woman's husband died, her, uh, the, the, uh, the woman's uh, brother could take care of him or the husband's brother could take care uh, of, of that woman. And so what she's referencing here is what's called the kinsman redeemer. Basically, in simple terms, what's happening is Boaz is a distant relative of Elimelech, which means he can legally marry Ruth and provide for her. This was the kinsman redeemer. And so now Naomi is so excited. 
Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. He can take care of you. He can provide for you. He can meet all of your needs. This is great news. This is why she's saying, praise the Lord. And if you don't hear anything else from this message today, hear this. Just as Boaz was the redeemer for Ruth, Boaz points us ahead to Christ, who is our redeemer. The word redemption means to purchase back. See, all of us has something in common today. We were stuck in our sin, in the slave market of sin. But when God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, he stepped into that slave market of sin and he purchased us back with his own blood so that we could be redeemed, we could be regenerated, we can be justified in the sight of a holy God. He is our redeemer. The Bible puts it this way in Ephesians 1.7. In whom, Jesus, we have redemption. Everybody say redemption. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Because Jesus went to the cross and sacrificed his life. He gave his life for you and for me through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So Boaz points ahead to Jesus Christ. And today, if you've never been redeemed from the curse of the law, if you've never been redeemed today, you can be redeemed by the blood of the lamb. You can accept the free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins. And just as Boaz met every need of Ruth, Christ promises to meet all of our needs. And he will provide for us and care for us each and every step of the way. Now, uh, from a worldly perspective, man, what a lucky day Ruth had. She just showed up to that field and she met Boaz and they fell in love. And he's providing for her, giving her food. And she comes back and she's celebrating. But what looks like coincidence is God's providence. God's always working. I just want to encourage our church family this week, Monday through Friday, never underestimate what God can do through the smallest details in your life. That he's always working behind the scenes. It might be his active hand. You might be able to notice it and see it. It might be his passive hand and you're not sure why things are happening in your life, but God is always working and we can always trust him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.